Brothers and sisters, I'd ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the book of Revelation, as we will be considering chapter 9 and verses 13 to 21. Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 to 21. Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 to 21. Please hear with me then the reading of God's Word. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire And smoke and sulfur came out from their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them they wound The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, the first four trumpets brought with them great physical destruction. And then we seen last week an intensification of judgment, didn't we? And that not only was there already great physical destruction that occurred, but now it moved from the physical to a spiritual judgment that came upon the ungodly in the form of these demons who were unleashed and who were allowed to to torment the ungodly for a period of time. Well, today, brothers and sisters, we again see an escalation of judgment as not only is a third of mankind tormented already, But now, under the sixth trumpet, comes death. Under the fifth trumpet judgment, those locusts that were released were allowed to torment but not kill. Under the sixth trumpet, that which is unleashed now kills. Now, we've said, though, that this occurs according to the perspective of those who are idolatrous, rebellious, God-hating Christ, rejecting church-persecuting man. right? This is their reality that has been revealed to John and which He reveals further to us. 
And as we read judgment after judgment, and we read the escalation of the judgment every time, I think naturally the question arises within us. You know, what will it take for man to just wave the white, the white flag? What will it take for man to relinquish that hostility against the Lord and against His church, saying that all that it brings is physical destruction and spiritual harm, which ultimately will lead to death? And I think that we have that question answered in our text today. And in fact, we have it answered many places in Scripture. Since we've been going back and forth between Exodus and our text recently, we'll, we'll use Moses as an example of, of where we see the answer to this as well. If you recall Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, the Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh. And Moses says this to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. And what was Pharaoh's response to Moses? Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So what do we see with Pharaoh? And with all of mankind, really. They are filled with pride. Their hearts are deceived. They are stubbornly wicked and ignorant. Right? They... They are deceived about their own capabilities and sinful man would rather go down swinging to their demise than allow their will to be supplanted by another. And in particular, the will of God supplanting their own will. Perhaps for some sinners out there, they think to themselves, well, if I just don't acknowledge God, if I just refuse to acknowledge Him, perhaps over time, He will just leave me alone. I mean, we think like that about some things, don't we? Even in our own lives. If you've ever gone over to someone's house and they have that, you know, that pet dog that just will not leave you alone and keeps pestering you and keeps pestering you, what, what do, what do they usually say to you? Say something like, if you just don't pay Sparky any mind, right? Sparky will leave you alone. So we've, we've been taught to think that way. And I think that's the way in which some sinners likewise think. They think, if I just refuse to acknowledge Him, God will eventually just leave me alone. But what do we see? right Throughout really the whole book of Revelation, what do we see in seal after seal and trumpet after trumpet? That God will never leave the ungodly alone. He will never leave them alone. Just as Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? And he answered him with ten plagues. The same thing occurs today. As people say, Who is the Lord? As they thumb their nose up at God, He answers them with judgment after judgment after judgment. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, only two things will will result. Right? Either one will relent They'll come to Christ in faith and in repentance. Right? Or they will continue to dig themselves down deeper, further and further into their misery until they die. But even at death, does God leave the sinner alone? Even at death, the sinner cannot escape Almighty God, for it is there that they will suffer the eternal torment of His wrath forever. But it is that death and that physical death 
that I think here is being addressed for us under the sixth trumpet that we will look at together today. But before we get there, what I want us to also see here under the sixth trumpet is that the sixth trumpet, like with many of the judgments, is a response to the prayer of the saints. Right? We see that in verse 13. Right? As the angel blows the sixth trumpet, John hears a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. Here what we have again. Now we've had multiple times another reference to this altar. It's that same altar in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, for which the uh, martyrs are, are crying out to the Lord, right? How long before you avenge us, O Lord? And what happened? That was the fifth seal. In response, you get the sixth seal. Right? This is the same thing that we see in the beginning of Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 5. Don't you remember where the angel comes before the golden altar with the prayers of the saints and the incense was added to them before the throne of the Lord. And so this is what we too see here in the sixth trumpet once more. The prayers of the saints that are before the, the golden altar from where the angel is now directed to release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, which I think then likewise right, links this with the other altars as well as responses to the prayers of the saints. Every time we see the altar, right, we are seeing this judgment then in response. Now, John says he hears the voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. Now, as we try to think about this, this four horns, we have to remember what we've said on multiple occasions. What is four symbolic of? Right, four is symbolic of completeness. Right? What are horns oftentimes symbolic of in Scripture? Power. Horns are oftentimes symbolic of power. And so, what we need to see here is that John hears the voice of someone then who has complete power over the prayers of the saints. And so, whose voice is it do you think that John hears say these words to the angel? It's the voice of the exalted Christ. It is the voice of the exalted Christ who as mediator has been given all authority in heaven and on earth to bring the kingdom to its consummation. So that is what He is doing here. Now His command was to release the four angels who were bound by the great river Euphrates. Now as we hear about these four angels, it might immediately bring us back to the beginning of chapter 7. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 7, we had four angels who were holding back the four corners of the, of the wind, we were told. But what I want us to see is that these are different angels than those. Okay? Those angels in chapter 7 were good angels. Right? They were holding back these judgments for what purpose? So that God's people could be sealed before the judgments came upon the earth. Right? These angels are, are very different. These angels are are evil angels. Right? They have been restrained against their will. We are told that they are bound. Right? That is how they are described to us. They are bound. It sounds very familiar to the restraint that the angels that we read about last week were suffering from in the bottomless pit, doesn't it? Now also, we need to understand that where these angels are said to be holds great significance as well. They are bound at the great river Euphrates. 
Right? The great river Euphrates holds great significance in, in Scripture. It is in Genesis chapter 15, verse 8, that God tells Abram this, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And so we see that the Euphrates was a boundary of Israel. Right? It was a part of their land. It protected them. But what also was the great river Euphrates symbolic of oftentimes? Well, what happened? Many times when Israel rebelled against God in idolatry, what did He do? He brought their enemies through the great river Euphrates to bring down punishment upon Israel. He did that with the Assyrians. He did that with the Babylonians. And so the great river Euphrates was also symbolic of, of judgment and of exile and of oppression. Right? This is where the invading armies of the world would come from. I think also... Jeremiah 26, excuse me, Jeremiah 46 is being alluded to here in chapter 9. And as I read it to you, I think you'll see why. Uh, but here it's describing actually the judgment upon an evil nation, upon Egypt. And here in Jeremiah 46 verse 4, God says this about an invading army that was to come. Harness the horses, mount O horsemen. Sounds familiar to what we're reading today, isn't it? In verses 22 and 23, we're told that she makes a sound like a serpent gliding away. In verse 23, they shall cut down her forest, declares the Lord, though it is impenetrable because they are more numerous than the locusts. They are without number. In verse 10, that day is the day of the Lord of hosts. And we're told for the Lord of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. And so we see here, in the judgment of Egypt, what is described for us is this army of horsemen who are like serpents and innumerable locusts who stand by the river Euphrates. And so we see the, the river Euphrates right, is, is oftentimes associated with or is symbolic of God's judgment as well. In fact, the river Euphrates still held great significance even in the first century. Because at the first century, the river Euphrates was the eastern border of the land of Rome. Of the land that they, that they conquered and that they ruled over. And yet, even Rome itself had enemies who were coming from the, the land of, or from the river of the Euphrates to, to harass Rome as well. Uh, one such group was the, uh, uh, Parthians. The Parthians rode horses and were great archers who would harass Rome from the east. And so, as they read chapter 9, most assuredly, this is something that, that meant something to them. Right? They probably recollected the Parthians who would ride these horses and shoot these arrows. Right? It sounds a lot like what is being described for us here in our text. And so, it had meaning. The Euphrates, in fact, will be mentioned again in our text as well. And if I asked you to guess where it would be, I'm sure that many of you could guess. Because it supports our understanding that these are parallel visions. Because we hear about the great river Euphrates once again in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation under, you guessed it, the sixth bowl. So under the sixth trumpet, you hear about the river Euphrates 
And later in the parallel vision in Revelation 16, you likewise will hear about the river Euphrates again because what we will be told is that as the angel pours out that bowl, pours out that judgment, he does so on the great river Euphrates. And so, brothers and sisters, all that to say that we need to see that here under the sixth trumpet, what God is doing is that He is unleashing this invading army upon the earth right, to judge those who have not been sealed. And in doing so, we see this. We see that God is sovereignly in control of all things. Right? That, this, that these mounted troops, this invading army, could not come upon the earth on their own time or in their own doing or apart from the command of God. It was at His appointed time. And it was at His appointed purpose that they came. Right? All things, everywhere, transpires not according to the will of man or the will of angels, whether good or evil, but all things happen according to the timetable of the Lord. And in fact, we're told that this was what the angels were prepared for beforehand. We read that in verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So with that kind of being our, our setup, then there's a two things in particular that I want us to focus our attention on for the remainder of our time. The first thing that I want us to, to pay attention to is the mounted troops unleashed on mankind. That's going to be our first point. The mounted troops unleashed on mankind. And we're really going to see that in verses 16 to 19. The second point then that I will want us to look at after will be mankind's response to the mounted troops. Mankind's response to the mounted troops. And, and that will really come from verses 20 and 21. So the mounted troops unleashed on mankind. What we see then in verse 16 is that these angels are depicted as having authority kind of over this army of horses which is going to carry out this murder, or this killing of, of one-third of mankind. And what are we told that their number is? Twice 10,000 times 10,000. Now, if you want to calculate that number, I'm not a mathematician, but if you want to calculate that number, I believe you get 200 million. Or you get 200 million. Now, there are some who want to interpret this literally, usually futurists, and they say this. Well, if it's 200 million army of beings, whatever that those beings are, they say, well, it has to be China then. Because only China has an army that can that can kind of match that size. But brothers and sisters, as we've been doing throughout the book of Revelation, we understand that these numbers are to be uh, interpreted figuratively. And in fact, we'll see that it's done not only in the book of Revelation, but throughout all of Scripture. Right, 10,000, that number, is oftentimes symbolic of an innumerable amount. Right, A great many. And I'll provide you just a couple examples. In Genesis chapter 26 and verse 40, this is Genesis, talking about the blessing of Rebekah. This is what we read. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. 
What do, what do they mean to convey there? Right? May you have many descendants, and a, an innumerable amount of descendants. Right? That's what they're meaning by blessing her with thousands of ten thousands. We see this likewise in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10. As we read those who were before the Ancient of Days, there was a thousand thousands that served Him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before Him. Again, just conveying to us this innumerable throng of people before the Lord, worshiping Him and and praising His name. And actually, Daniel 7.10 is picked up in Revelation 5.11, where before the Ancient of Days, what do we read about the angels there? That there was myriads of myriads. Remember that? Thousands of thousands who are crying out to the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, what we need to see is this these mounted troops, this twice 10,000 times 10,000, is a, a figurative number which is meant to convey to us simply an innumerable amount, a great many. In verse 15, then we go on, and it describes for us how this army appeared to John in the vision. And what does he say? He says he saw horses and he saw men riding on these horses. And in verse 17, it goes on to describe them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out from their mouths. So we see here something very similar, don't we, to what we read last week about the locusts. It's a very similar description. And likewise, though, with the locust, we need to do the same thing that, that we do with these horses here. Is, that is, we are to understand that all that is being described to us, these horses that have head like, heads like lions, is simply meant to convey to us how fierce these, these beasts are, these demons are that attack the, the earth. Right? We are to understand at what ferocity they come upon the earth, what, what chaos they cause, what destruction they bring. In fact, isn't that what even fire and sulfur describe for us oftentimes in Scripture? Right? Death and destruction. An example of that would be Genesis 19, verse 24. We're told that the Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah. What? Sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And so what we need to see here, that description of the sulfur and the fire coming from their mouths, describes to us the, the lethal power with, with, with which they come upon the earth. Elsewhere in Scripture, and in the book of Revelation, we see sulfur and fire combined to describe for us end time judgment as well. We see this in Revelation 14, verse 10, being described about those who have the mark of the beast. And here we read this, He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of His anger, And he will be tormented with what? With sulfur and fire in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And so, what that also indicates to us though is this, brothers and sisters, that already in part, that final judgment, that wrath is is being poured out in installments now even. Right? The young godly are, are tasting bits and pieces of what the final judgment will be like. They are 
tasting portions of it now in the life, only to experience it in incomparable greatness in the age to come. Now we have to ask the question, angels though are immaterial. Right, so how is it that angels are going to come and lead this great army of these, of these horses to physically kill people? Right, how, are, how are these angels going to do that? Well, I think, brothers and sisters, the, the fact that we are told that the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur, which we already said describes judgment, comes from out of their mouths is telling. Right, the fact that the fire and the sulfur and the smoke comes from their mouth, gives us a clue as to how we are to interpret how they are going to kill a third of mankind. And so what we need to see is that they do it in the same manner as the king of demons does it. And the king of demons murdered through lies. He murdered through lies. And so too then we need to see these angels will as well. Right? They, they wield death through their devilish lies. And let me give you just one example. And from that, you can, in your own mind, think of many more. Was it not devilish lies that caused the mass killing of 6,000 Jews in Germany at the hands of Adolf Hitler? Was that not deception and lies that brought about killing and murder and death? That's just one example. Think of all the other ungodly leaders who because of devilish lies they believe killed mankind. And I think that this interpretation of these kind of lies being what precedes death is in harmony, perfect harmony with what we read elsewhere in the book of Revelation. In fact, as the sixth bowl is poured out, this is what we read in chapter 16 and verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they were demonic spirits performing signs. Performing lying, deceitful, false signs. Who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. So what do we have described for us there? Right, These demonic spirits who are deceiving through signs so that they might bring for themselves or gather for themselves an army against the Lord. And this is what we see in our text today as well. Right, Those lies were coming from what? The mouth of the beast and the false prophet. So too, this is what we have in our own text symbolized by these Horses who are ungodly, demonic, spiritual forces who are deceiving and killing through lies. This is what we're told then in verse 18. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. It was by those three plagues that killed a a third of mankind. By that which came out of their mouths. Now we have to ask, I think I gave it away earlier, but, you know, is this death, though, physical? Is it figurative? Is it both? 
Now, most of the uses of the Greek word here, kill, actually is literal in the book of Revelation. I think nine times when it talks about killing, it is talking about literal death, literal physical killing and death. In fact, that's exactly what we've seen last week, if you remember. In last week, earlier in chapter 9, what were the locusts able to do? To torment, but not what? Kill. Which meant what? Physical killing, didn't it? Why? Because we knew that because people would what? They would long to die. They would long to physically die, but they couldn't, right? We were told death would escape them. And so I think we have to say physical death is meant here if we're going to interpret things consistently, right? Now that death comes in all forms, as we said. Tragedy, war, as we've said, which increases and ensures, though, that those who die in sin are going to remain spiritually dead for the remainder of their existence. And so under this sixth trumpet judgment, then, what we need to see is that there's going to be an increase in deception which produces growing violence and death. Right? An increase in deception that produces more and more violence and death upon the earth. But what I want us also to see, though, brothers and sisters, is that I don't think that this is only talking about physical death, but likewise, it's talking about both. Literal death and figurative death or spirit, excuse me, spiritual killing as well. And this is what, I, this is why I believe that. Look with me at verse 19. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads and by no means of them they wound. So what do we read there? That they, they, they wound, these tails wound. Now, what does the word here, wound, mean? It likewise means harm, hurt, injure. The same words that we likewise heard last week, earlier in the book of Revelation in chapter 9. Right? That's what we read in verse 4 of chapter 9. That the locusts were not to harm the earth. Right? That's the same word as wound here. They were not to harm the earth. Likewise, in verse 10, we read that same word. The locusts had power in their tail to do what? To hurt for five months. And so what did we say that was, though? That wasn't physically hurting, we said, right? We said that was, that was spiritual. That was internal torment. And so, too, if we're going to be consistent, we need to understand that it is these horses. And interestingly enough, the men aren't involved in this at all. The riders have no play in any of this. It's the horses who are doing the work. It's the horses who are doing the harm. It's the, the horses who then are harming not only physically killing, but likewise spiritually through deception which precedes death. Which again is why we are told throughout this that the power was in their mouths. Right? It's from out of the mouth that deception comes. But not only does deception come from their mouth, where else do they harm from, are we told? From their tails as well. And what is their tail like? A serpent? A serpent. A serpent's head. Which again stirs up what for us? Images of the lying serpent. right? The serpent who deceived our first parents with those lies. And what lies do is that they seal the eternal fate of those who die in them. 
And it's those same lies, brothers and sisters, that are sealing the fate of so many today who continue to believe the lie so that they go to their death in that state of sin, never to leave it again. And this, though, brothers and sisters, we need to see all comes from the hand of God. It is all a a judgment of God. I mean, there are so many Christians, though, who probably hear that and detest when I say something like that. Why would you say such a thing? That, That this is a judgment of God? That they believe a lie? So that they may be condemned forever in their state of sin? This is what Paul says. Don't take my word for it. Take Paul's word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. What does God do to those who refuse to believe the truth and so be saved? This is what we're told. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they believe what is false in order that they might be condemned. All who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's the judgment that we continue to see going on today in our own world and in our own lives. This is the same thing that was going on in the first century within these seven churches, wasn't it? Remember what they were being warned of. What was God telling them? He was saying to them, you have false teachers in your midst who are trying to deceive you. Don't believe the lie. Why? Because it's going to seal your eternal fate. Don't believe the lie of the Nicolaitans who are saying to you, well, if you're saved by grace, you can... You can practice idolatry and sexual immorality. Or, or the, the false teaching of Jezebel, right, who said it was okay to eat that food sacrificed to idols at the pagan festivals as they're worshiping those pagan deities. And what was though the, the end of that Jezebel retold? Right, God did what? He, he threw her upon the sickbed. This is why He told those churches, repent or else I am coming soon for you as well. And brothers and sisters, today, are there not false teachers teaching false doctrine everywhere in our land? I mean, think about what people are doing to try to to draw people into their churches. Right? Come come to our church for it is here. You will you will find your best life now. Right? Come to our church and we'll teach you how to how to be healthy and financially prosperous and all of these things, right? Never be ill again. Right, Come to our worship. Come worship with us because we've gotten rid of all of the traditional elements of worship. We got rid of all that boring preaching. Right, come be a part of our community. Or others who say, who say, come to our church because we're not going to bother you with sin anymore. Well, for all of those who, who flock to those churches because they have a desire to have their ears tickled by the lie, what they are doing themselves is, is sealing their eternal destiny. Right? Their spiritual death is going to lead to physical death, which is going to lead to eternal death. Because they did not love the truth, but instead loved the lie. But here, brothers and sisters, is the good news for the church. That although we still are going to physically die like this ungodly world, that although we may be killed as well like this ungodly world, like saints are being killed all across the world today for their Christian faith, like Antipas was in the first century at the church in Pergamum, 
When we die, our death does not seal our eternal fate into the bottomless pit forever. Right? When, when the saints die, when you and I die, what it does is it releases us from all of that bodily pain and affliction. It releases us from sin and suffering and torment so that we might come to live our best life now in heaven which has been promised to us in the New Covenant, and which has been pro- procured for us by the atoning work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we have to ask, what about those for whom Christ did not secure a heavenly inheritance? What is their response to these judgments? Well, this leads us to our second and our final point this morning, which is mankind's response to the mounted troops. Mankind's response to the mounted troops. Please look with me at verses 20 and 21. Here we read this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Well, here, brothers and sisters, I want to take us back kind of to our introduction to what I was talking about as we read about judgment after judgment and we see that there is no relenting from the wicked that they continue in it. Right? We see why, don't we? Right? Just like with Pharaoh, all of mankind are lovers of sin are prideful, are deceitful, are foolish, are stubbornly ignorant. Right? All of mankind, even though they see all these judgments, refuse to repent, refuse to give up the evil works of their hands. Why? Because they're lovers of Satan. Right? They're lovers of, of their Master. Who is their Master? But the one who was an idolater himself. Who was their master but one who was a lover of himself? One who sinned against the Lord and yet never repented of his sin. And so just as children take upon themselves the characteristics of their parents, so too does this godless world take upon the characteristics of their father, the devil. Right? This world happily takes upon themselves his vile characteristics and his devilish nature all the way to their doom and their demise. Right? They, they see all of these judgments, yet they refuse to repent of their wicked ways. And so I ask you today, brothers and sisters, what else must the Lord do to cause the wicked to turn from their evil ways and to run to Christ in faith? I mean, there are so many in this world who are so angry with God Why is God allowing people to go to hell? If He's a good God, why does He allow that? Well, brothers and sisters, I would say, look with me at the picture of the ungodly in our text today. What else does the world want God to do? Right? This world decries. They say, oh, we want our free will. We don't want anyone uh, infringing upon our free will. But look with me today at what their free will does. Their free will desires destruction and chaos which leads unto death. And so sinful mankind, you have no one to thank but yourself. No one to thank but themselves. They refuse 
to repent after opportunity and opportunity and warning and warning. And so then we also see, brothers and sisters, that the purpose of these judgments are to have a condemning effect upon the wicked. These judgments are sent in part and even primarily not to bring about repentance, but to condemn, right? to condemn and to judge. Right? They bring not only physical death, but they likewise, for the, for the two-thirds who are not killed, right, for those two-thirds, it continues to deceive them and keep them under that state of sin. And so, though in providing these opportunities, what, what God is doing likewise is on that last day, He is vindicating His justice. Right? His justice cannot be impugned on that last day. He has given sinner time and chance and opportunity. And so when that judgment comes, you cannot say, why didn't you tell us? Likewise, then, brothers and sisters, what I think that this ought to teach us is that we are not to grow disheartened by the antagonism of this world towards us. We are not to grow disheartened about the antagonism that this world shows our Lord as it, as it mocks Him. Why? Why are we not to grow disheartened by that antagonism? Because we see that it is all a part of the perfect plan of God. This is how He has purposed things to work out in the world. See also from our text how idols are so key to keeping people in darkness. This is why it's so important that we don't have idols in our life, that we flee idols because they are so key to keeping you in bondage. Also, they'll see how foolish it is to hold on to an idol because what is an idol? It's nothing. It's deaf. It's mute. It's dumb. It's lame. They can't speak. They can't hear. They can't walk. They can't think. And in fact, this ungodly world ultimately, over time, becomes what they worship. Right? This is, in fact, what we see with Israel, don't we, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10. As the Lord sends Isaiah to proclaim this word to idolatrous Israel, this is what he has him to say. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and, and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Right? He's saying, go, go preach to them. They want to be idolaters. We're going to make them just like the things they worship. Deaf and dumb. Right? Unable to see or to hear. And for those in our text who worship creature rather than creator, for those who refuse to repent of the works of their hands, what we need to see is that these judgments and that, that are poured forth upon, upon them are the power of God's anger on the ungodly. That is what these judgments are. They are the power of God's angry upon the ungodly. This is why no matter how much we can paint this picture of the beauties of the glorious kingdom, this is why no matter how much we can tell sinners about the misery of their sin and the terrors of hell that they will never see unless Christ removes that blindness from their eyes. 
It's that saving work, though, that comes about through what? Through the proclamation of the Word. Right? This is the instrument that God uses to save. But at the same time, it's the instrument that God uses to judge as well. And so we are to continue to preach the Word and allow God to, to do the saving and to do the judging, whichever one He chooses. Because sinners, brothers and sisters, need to hear what, what John has to say in, in his Gospel in chapter 3, verse 36, which is that the wrath of God abides on the sinner. Right? Sinners need to hear that. They need to hear that the eternal and infinite God who created all things and will bring all things to their end stands against them. They need to hear that the face of God is against them. They need to hear that the attributes of God are against them. They need to hear that the wisdom and the power of God is against them. They need to know that there will be no peace in this world as they stand against the Lord, that there will be nowhere to run to and nowhere to escape in this life or in the next. They need to know that there is no enemy like the Lord. No earthly enemy will compare. But like brothers and sisters, you and I know that is not only the case. Not only is He an enemy like no other, but for those who have been called, chosen with that eternal and electing love, you also know and have come to know that there is no friend like the Lord as well. There is no friend like the Lord as well. And so for the sinner, for the sinners here today, for those who you have not trusted in Christ, cry out in faith and repentance. Right? Cry out to the Lord that He would be friend and not enemy to you. Right? Cry out that His blood would wash you white as snow. That He might grant to you peace and reconciliation with the Father. That the Father would be now so much for you, just as much as He was against you. And He promises He will. He promises He will for those who cry out in faith and repentance. Only then will you escape the miserable destiny that you are headed towards. As we draw to a close here, you know, oftentimes when you hear people witness to sinners, what do they say? You hear them say, you know, nothing's more important than having a, a personal relationship with the Lord. And that's, that's true. That is true, right? It's important to have a, a personal relationship with the Lord. But what is also true is that every person has a personal relationship with the Lord. The question, though, becomes what is the nature of, of your relationship? Right? Is it friend or is it foe? Right? That's what matters. Let all of us here who believe by the grace of God thank God then, for we were once enemies. And by His mercy and His love and His grace, He has made us friends. And so let, let us continue to, to preach the Word and to pray for sinners. right? Praying for them that every single day passes that the, the Lord through His judgments and through His Word, according to His perfect plan, will make more and more of His enemies His friends right? to the good of them and the glory of His name. Please let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the words of eternal life. We are so thankful, Father, that 
not because of anything worthy in us, but simply because of Your free grace and mercy that You remove the scales from our eyes, that You allow us to, to see the truth and not to be deceived and overcome by the lies. We ask, Lord, that You would continue to, to help us to see the lies, to abhor what is evil, to detest sin, to, to flee from all abominations, and to place our faith, hope, and Christ each and every day of our lives. But likewise, Father, we ask that You would give us hearts for sinners as we were once in their place. And that, Lord, You would cause us each and every day to cry out on behalf of sinners all around the world that they may, may too, by Your grace, taste the sweetness of that salvation wrought in Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.